Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. I'm stoked for today. I've really enjoyed this comeback series that we've been in. How many of you guys have enjoyed the comeback series? I love it because we all have a comeback series. Uh, series. We all have a comeback story. We all have a comeback story. And, and the greatest comeback story of all time was Jesus, right? Pastor Mike had mentioned that a few weeks ago, and it's so true. I mean, he, he took all of our sin and our shame to a cross, and he died for us and rose again. So that was the ultimate comeback. But today I want to talk to you about the second greatest comeback in the history of mankind. And the second greatest comeback in the history of mankind is actually you. It's you. It's your story. It's what God has done in your life. You see, too many times I think we take our story and we, we belittle it. We act like it's not that big of a deal. It is a huge deal. It says in Revelations, and they will overcome him, him being the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You have a story. You have a testimony, and God wants you to use it. So we're going to talk today. Um, when, when you leave here today, I hope that you realize that your story is amazing. Your story is great. It is the second greatest comeback ever in the history of mankind. So before we get into that, though, I was thinking this week about, you know, for there to be a comeback, there has to be a fall, right, or a mess up or something wrong has to take place for there to be a comeback, right, because otherwise it's not a comeback. So I was thinking about a time that I've really messed up, and I asked my wife, I said, hey, can you think of a time that I really messed something up? And she says, how much time you got? And I went, easy killer, easy, all right? And so we started sharing stories, and things got really dark really fast. But um, no, we, we started talking about this story, something that happened when I was 18 years old. And you guys ever have those moments where you do something and you go, oh, man, I'm dead. I am dead meat, right? Come on, think back to when you were a kid, when you were a teenager, you messed something up and you went, oh man, I'm going to meet Jesus today, right? I am dead meat. So I want to share a story with you, something that happened to me when I was 18 years old. Uh, I was born and raised in an Assemblies of God church, and in the Assemblies of God, they have this program called Fine Arts, and what that is is teenagers and kids will compete with a talent of some sort. It might be uh, art or singing or, I mean, it could be something like a computer, a poem, whatever. So what you do is you, you try to master your craft and then you go and compete. And you compete on a state level. And then if you grade well enough, you go to a national level. So I only did it one year and it was my senior year. And uh, a group of friends and I got together and we did like this little skit. So we competed on the district level or in the state of Michigan. And they give us a good enough grade, we got to go to nationals. So nationals bounces around all across the country, and in that year, it was in Kansas City, Missouri. And one thing that um, you should know about me is I'm not the biggest fan of big cities. Ironic, right? Because we're right by the biggest city in the world, right? I'm not the biggest fan. I don't like driving in big cities. I'd rather not. I like space. I don't like bumping into people. I don't want someone's sweat on my arm, right? Like, I need space. So we're in Kansas City. I'm already kind of like a little anxious. And uh, I had this youth pastor who was awesome man of God. And he had more faith and confidence in me than I had in me. And he gave me the keys to a 15-passenger van that we had used to drive down. We took a couple of them. And he says, all right, Ben, I want you to go and, and follow this other leader to the parking garage and drive 
the van back to the convention center to pick everybody up at. So we would compete at the convention center, but there's no parking there. We're parked in a parking garage. So I said, all right, I can do that. I'm thinking I should not be doing this right now. But we go over there, we get the vans, and actually the leader that I was following turned out to be my future mother-in-law, and uh, she has a bit of a lead foot. No one tell her I told you that. And drives like a bat out of hell. So, But anyway, she... Um, she gets in the car and she says, okay, sweetie, I want you to follow me and stay close, all right? And I'm like, okay, I can do that. And I didn't realize how crazy of a driver she was at that point. So I'm like, all right, I can do that. And she goes, because it's a big city, you know, if we get one person in between us, we might as well have five in between us, stay right behind me. I said, all right, I got it. So when we pull out, I, I swear, she's like peeling rubber, all right? Just, Wah! and I'm like, oh, no. And so I'm trying to follow her. And the way that it worked is you would turn out of this place, and then there's a, a street light right there. And so she caught a green light, and I'm thinking, if I miss this light, what am I going to do? I mean, we're going back before iPhones and, and even GPS being as popular as it is. So I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to get to the convention center. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's going on. So I'm following her, and I'm just so intent on, on staying right behind her. And I take this corner, and I guess I took it a little too sharp. And I hear this, boom! And I look behind me, and one of those like little ticket counter things where they like, give out the ticket was rocking back and forth like this. But I didn't feel a thing, right? Like I did, I'm going, huh, that's crazy. I wonder what happened. I have no concept that I just hit this thing, right? So I just keep driving or whatever, and I get over to the convention center, and I get out to like go open the door so everybody else can pile in. As I'm getting out, I hear this commotion, and... They're going, oh, my gosh, what happened to the church van? And rah, 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 rah. What had happened was when I hit that thing, there was a big old crease in the front of the, of the van with yellow paint smear marks going down. I'm so slow, I'm not putting it together that I did that, okay? I'm seriously going, huh, I wonder what happened, all right? So I'm being, like, quiet, and I'm just kind of thinking, like, what could have happened? And in the midst of this commotion... Someone says, wasn't there a yellow truck parked next to us in the parking garage? I bet that jerk hit us. And then I went, that was me. I, I'm the jerk. I hit something. I never said a word. I went, <laughs> yeah, what a jerk. I can't believe he would do that. Made no sense. Where the den was and how, it doesn't make a lick of sense. But you know what? I got out of it. Nobody knew. I didn't say anything to anybody for years. My wife and I were married like 10 years, and I said, Hey, babe, remember that one time? And I finally spilled the beans, and I felt such relief. I was like, ah, oh, I just feel so much better. But when that happened, when I put those pieces together, and I realized, realized how much I messed up, I went, I'm dead meat. Immediately, I thought of myself sitting in the pastor's office. I imagined him kicking me out of church, kicking me out of Christendom, not being allowed into heaven, right? Like, immediately, I'm like, I messed up. I'm dead. I'm dead. But that didn't happen. Someone else, we blamed it on somebody else. They fixed the problem. It wasn't a big issue. But that was the time that I royally screwed up in life. And I was thinking this week about comebacks and, and our stories. And I feel like God put Jonah on my heart. So if you could do me a favor, can you turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah? If you don't have your Bible, if you didn't bring it, uh, you know, a lot of you guys have the app on your phone or it'll be right up here. So today, I want to look at the life of Jonah and a situation that happened with him, how he handled the situation, how he messed up a situation, 
but then how God ultimately used Jonah and how God ultimately wants to use you. What I want you to get out of today is the parallel between your life and Jonah's life. What happened to him, what happens to us, and how God still used him. When we look at the life of Jonah, or, or let's say you hear the name Jonah, a lot of people, even outside of this church, walking down the street, if you said, who is Jonah, they'd be like, ah, some guy with a fish, right? Like, uh, we're kind of familiar with it, but a lot of us probably don't know the story really well. So today, what I want to do is just really jump into his story. How did he get in the fish? Why was he in the fish? How long did he stay in the fish? What happened after the fish? We're going to dive into all that. If you're taking notes which I hope that you are, because if you're anything like me, I retain way more when I write it down. The title of my sermon today is You. Simply You. Your story, what God wants to do in you, what God wants to do through you, you. I have five very quick points. Don't be afraid of that number five, all right? Five very quick points, and uh, we'll get you out of here for beach and lunch and all that fun stuff. My first point today is the call the call. We read in the first part of Jonah, there was a call on his life. God gave him a task to do. It says in Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So essentially God says, Jonah, I got a job for you. Now, Jonah was a prophet. I didn't realize it until really diving into this sermon today, but God had used uh, Jonah another time in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 14, God had used Jonah again. So he's a prophet. So God speaks to Jonah, and then Jonah's job is to kind of be the megaphone, all right, and say, like, all right, God gave me this. Now I'm telling you, okay? So God gives Jonah a word that he is supposed to give to Nineveh. Now, when I read this, I go, oh, man, God, I wish you would just speak so plainly to me. Speak in an audible voice to me. I want to know exactly because sometimes I get nervous. I'm like, I think this is right. I don't know. I hope. I, I, there's a lot of, like, hesitancy on my part. So when I read this, I'm like, oh, man, Jonah had it easy. He knew exactly what God called him to do, where he's supposed to go, what he's supposed to say. So how did Jonah handle that? Leads me to my second point, the mess up. The mess up. Jonah 1 verse 3 says this, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. By the way, I do not like reading the word Tarshish. I feel like I got too much spit in my mouth. And of course, it's in there three times. So, Essentially, God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was roughly 500 miles to the east of where Jonah was. I want you to go 500 miles to the east. Jonah goes, buys a ticket to get on a boat to go to Tarshish, which is roughly 2,000, 2,500 miles to the west. He does the exact opposite of what God told him to do. Now, I have two reasons why I think he did this. One, he's human. Two, he's male. All right? I don't know what it is, if it's something in our DNA, but guys, we struggle, right? I mean, like, hey, do this or else. I don't know about you, but I don't like ultimatums. 
right? Anybody else like that in here? You don't like ultimatums? If they're like, do this or else. I was a kid. My mom would say, do this or else. Greg, you know what I'm talking about? Do this or else. My, my mom would say that. Do this or else. And I'd be like, or else. Why? What is wrong? Door number two, please. It's so dumb on my part. I don't know why, but there's just something in you. You're like, no, I know better. I don't know better. I'm an idiot. Ask my wife. I don't know better. So God is calling Jonah, saying, go that way, and he says, no, I'm going this way. He does the exact opposite, the mess up. When I read this, I think of toddlers and teenagers. When you say, don't do that, and they go, what, this, right? You know what I'm talking about, anybody with kids? Toddlers and teenagers, I don't know what it is. They're like normal for a little bit, but before, toddlers and teenagers, don't do that. This, don't touch that. This, they do the exact opposite, right? That's what Jonah's doing here, the exact opposite of what God's called him to. Now, why? Why is he doing the exact opposite of what God has called him to do? Well, for one, Nineveh had Assyrians living there. And the Assyrians were the enemies of the Israelites, all right? And not only that, you don't want to mess with the Assyrians. They are no joke, like, biker gang type dudes, all right? They would go and take over a city, and everybody that was living there, they would kill them, cut their heads off, and put them in a nice pretty little pile outside the city so that anybody walked by would go, whoa, don't mess with the Assyrians, all right? That's what God, that's where God is calling Jonah to, to go and minister to these people. That could be part of it. We actually read later on, Jonah says, God, I knew that you're good and merciful. He doesn't want God being good and merciful to his enemies. The bottom line, though, is he does the human thing, and he goes in the exact opposite direction. So what's God to do? Well, he's a good, loving father. And how many know that when your kids do something they shouldn't do, there's a punishment that follows, right? So that's point number three today, the punishment. Now, when I was growing up, before I was about to get a whooping, my mom or dad would say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. That was a lie. That was not true. It hurt. But I get what they're saying now, now having my kids, right? If you have kids and you've ever had to punish them, it absolutely breaks your heart. You go, I, I don't, I don't want to do what I'm about to do right now. But the Bible says that God gives punishment to those that he loves, right? You love your kids, you're going to you know, punish them when they need it. Why? For a reason, for a purpose, not for fun. So that's what God does. He hands out a punishment to Jonah because he's got to turn him around. He's got to go, man, you are not going the right direction. So in Jonah 1, verses 4 and 5, it goes like this. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Let's jump down to verse 12. He said to them, he being Jonah, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
So Jonah's on this boat going the exact opposite direction of where he should be going. So God causes this storm. So everybody goes into freakout mode, right? Like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Like, why are we going through this? So they figure out that Jonah is the reason. They're going through the storm because Jonah is running from God. And they're like, hey, tell us what to do. And he's like, you got to chuck me into the sea. Like, no, there's got to be a better way, man. So they start trying to row to shore. Can't do it. No matter how hard they fight, no matter what they're trying to do, they can't get to shore. So they're like, all right, I guess we got to do it. So they pick Jonah up and they throw him into the sea. And I love the, the way that verse 17 reads because it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God was involved in that. This just wasn't some random shark attack. All right? God sent this shark, not shark, fish. Sorry, I got sharks on the brain now. Um, God sends this fish to swallow Jonah because he knows that they're going to have a conversation. All right? He's in this fish for three days and three nights. Write this down. This is point number four, the turnaround. The turnaround. I love chapter two. Chapter two is nothing but a prayer prayed by Jonah from the belly of this fish. It starts out like this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Sheol is talking about the place of the dead. So essentially what Jonah is saying is, I'm in the deepest, darkest place I could possibly be. I am in the belly of a fish for crying out loud. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me to learn, I got to hit rock bottom, right? I, why I'm built this way, I don't know. But it's like I just stay on this path, stay on this path, boom! I hit rock bottom and I go, oh yeah, I should be doing something else. That's what Jonah had to go through. He is literally at rock bottom. He is in the belly of a fish. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up and I'd hear this story, for some reason, I would picture the movie Pinocchio. You guys ever seen Pinocchio, right? And it's like spacious, and it's like, I mean, you could build a house in this fish that Pinocchio was in, right? I mean, I think he even had like a campfire and made s'mores. I mean, that's how I pictured this, but we don't know that for sure. All we know is that it was big enough for him to survive for three days and three nights. And what does Jonah choose to do? Talk about God's goodness, how he's there, how he hears his prayer. I don't think that'd be the first thing I'd pray. <laughs> God, get me out of here. But he talks about God's goodness. You heard my prayer. You hear my cry. He's in the deepest, darkest place he's ever been. God, you hear my cry. Sometimes when I'm in that dark place, I feel like I couldn't be any further from God right now. But Jonah reminds us, God, you hear my cry. You hear my cry. And this is where the turnaround takes place. This is where Jonah's heart begins to turn back to God to do what God has called him to do. So after having this conversation with God, this prayer with God, Jonah 2.10 says this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is my last and final point, the result. The band is going to come out at this time, and we're going to begin to, to wrap this up. This is my, my final point. But I feel like everything builds up 
to this moment right here, the result. This is where I think you're going to start to draw parallels between where you are, where Jonah was. So we just read that this fish essentially pukes him out on dry land. And we read in Jonah 3, verses 1 through 3, that God still wants to use Jonah. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. As we keep reading, Jonah does go. And they do turn. His enemies, these bad dudes, people that are doing evil in the sight of God, they do turn. Things do change. God still uses Jonah despite him doing the opposite of what God called him to do. How amazing is that? I mean, that makes me excited because I, for one, have messed up over and over and over Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm perfect. Ask Amber. I'm not. I mess up all the time. And God still says, I choose you. I choose you. I got a call on your life. I got something for you to do. One of the saddest things that I hear in the ministry, having conversations with real people. Listen, here's my my hope. My hope is that when you look at me, you go, he's a real guy. He goes through normal Everyday, real problems and issues. Because I do. But one of the saddest things that I hear doing what I do, when I talk to someone about the goodness and the grace of God, they'll say, Ben, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the sin that I've committed. You don't understand how many steps away from God I've taken. You don't understand You don't understand my addictions. You don't understand my problems. You don't understand what I was struggling with last night. You don't understand. God can't use me. God can't use me. What we begin to do is we begin to take on baggage that we weren't created to carry. We begin to take on this baggage called shame and guilt because you don't understand I've done this I've done that you don't get it Ben God can't use me I can't accept his love I can't move on I can't I can't I want to illustrate a point for you this morning and to do that I'm going to ask my daughter Callie to come here This is my princess. I'm going to cry. I'm just warning you. <laughs> I love this kid more than words can say. I can't even begin to convey to you how much I love this, this little girl. She's like my little mini-me. And just FYI, she's either going to run the country or the mob someday, so look out. I love her so much, and I want to protect her from the things in this world. I would want to hurt her, steal her joy, her freedom, because I love her so much. 
I don't want anything bad happening to her. I don't want her to have to carry things that she wasn't meant to carry. But like I said, what we begin to do is we begin to carry things. Can you hold this, sweetheart? Like guilt, shame, condemnation. God, I'm tired. I can't do this. You're calling me to go and do something, but my hands are full. I'm tired. I'm weak. I can't do this. And God's crying out to us, baby, put it down. Let go. Let me take it from you. You weren't built to carry that. Let me have it. If you just walk away from it, look what could happen. Look what I've called you to. Look how I want to use you. Dreams and plans that would blow your mind. Just let me have it. And we say no. We say no. God, how could you? I deserve this. I deserve guilt and shame. Condemnation. I deserve these things. God can't use me. Because I have this stuff, this baggage in my life. Thank you, sweetheart. God's asking us today. God's asking us today to hand it over to him. He's saying, son, I haven't called you to that. Son, you're carrying something that you weren't made to carry. You're carrying around guilt and shame. You're holding on to something that you've done in the past. Jesus went to the cross for that. That's why he went to the cross, so that we could take this and get rid of it. And we could do what he's called us to do. And let me tell you, each and every person in this room, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how young you are, I don't care what you've done in your life, God has a call on your life. It's called the Great Commission. Go out. Share the good news, the gospel, the love of Jesus with other people. That's what he's called you to do. You don't necessarily have to stand up here and do this. But wherever you're at, the neighborhood you live in, the grocery store that you shop in, the gas station that you go to, the people that you bump into, that's your mission field. That's your mission field. And I hear too many times, Ben, I can't. I can't. I can't put it down. I can't walk away from it. How? How? How can he? It doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense. That's how good he is. That's how amazing he is. Now, I'm passionate about this. I'm very passionate about this because this is real to me. Because I've been where Jonah's at. I've done the exact opposite of what God's called me to do. i got to be honest with you. I was struggling with insecurities this morning about saying what I'm saying right now. God, are you sure? God, I don't know. I, I was petrified. 
to come up here and share this. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. You're called. He will give you what you need, when you need it, to do what he has called you to do. Church, this luggage, we got to be willing to put it down. We weren't meant to carry that. Jonah got vomited out of a fish. And God says, all right, it's time to do work. It's time to go. And he did it. You have a choice, church. You can sit there and say, I'm not worthy, and which is true. None of us are. Or you can say, you know what? There's things in my past, but God wants to use that. God wants to use your testimony. I love hearing people's stories. I love it. Because then I start to think, my faith is built. I leave stronger after talking to you when I go, oh my gosh. God showed up in Jimmy's life. That happened this week? That's amazing. Now I know God can do it in my life. Your testimony is powerful. There are people on this planet that you are supposed to minister to, that God has called you to talk to about his love and his grace and his mercy, and they're going to have the same response. It doesn't make sense. I don't get it. And you're going to say, I know. It is too good to be true, but it's true. It's true. Church, will you stand with me this morning? Every time you walk into this place, the goal is is that you're presented with an encouraging, challenging word. That's the goal. That's the hope. But then the hope is that you would take it and you'd say, God... Let it change me. Let it change me. The Bible talks about being just hearers of the word or doers of the word. The point isn't for you to take today and let it go in one ear and out the other. It's to take it and plant it in your heart, let it grow, and use it. You have a choice whether you leave here today and you get in your car and go, well, that was nice, and you go about your merry way, or you can leave this place and go, I was challenged And God, I know you're calling me to it. You've been calling me to Nineveh. I've been running the opposite direction. You've been asking me to share your love with that coworker. You've been asking me to forgive someone that I didn't think I could forgive. And I've been running from it. But today, today I choose you. And today I choose to do it. Don't end up in a fish. Don't end up in a fish. Do it now. Turn now. Today, if you need prayer, we have an amazing prayer team in the back. And listen, they are prayed up. They've been praying about this moment with you all week long. They want to pray with you. So if you need someone, you need good, godly wisdom and counsel, that is available. Maybe you just need to have a conversation with God right where you're at. I encourage you to do that as well. My prayer for you today is that you would take what we discussed, what you heard today, and apply it. Lord, I love you, and I thank you, God, for who you are and the love that you have for us. God, I just pray that we would set these things down, that we wouldn't let 
our past mistakes, this baggage that we've been carrying, this guilt and this shame, God, I pray that it would not derail us for one more minute from the vision, from the calling that you have on our lives. When I read your word, 12 disciples turn this world upside down for you. What could we do? What could this church do if we would just catch it? God, I pray today that before we leave, we would catch it. God, I'm thankful for your goodness and your mercy and your love. God, meet with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.